Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, the only industrial safety podcast that brings you common sense advice on job site safety, standards, regulations, and industry best practices without putting you to sleep. Welcome to Dave and Bacon Safety Tales. I'm glad you're part of our dysfunctional family. The crazy drunk uncle, he's back Just again. The Fred Redunzel and Dave White here with Quad City Safety. Uh, We are on LinkedIn, both of us. If you look Fred Redunzel, Quad City Safety, Dave White, Quad City Safety, you can definitely hit us up. I'm QC Safety Fred on Twitter. Uh, Today, we're going to do our best to clear up some of the confusion we often hear surrounding gas calibration. It's actually simple, but a lot of folks come to us without a clear understanding of exactly what we're talking about when we ask them about it. So, Dave... Calibration gas story. Well, it's kind of a lot of different stories, but, you know, kind of reverting back to my childhood is, you know, when I would be playing with a toy and I would kind of, you know, a lot of a lot of the toys that I played with had a 9-volt battery. Okay. How the hell did I figure out whether that 9-volt was going to be good or bad? Tongue. I would lick it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's that's one that, you know... Uh, probably not the best way to go about it, but you know, I, I did test it to see. Yep, it's still got some juice in it. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many times somebody would go, "Hey, what's in that jug? Is that is that gas?" <laughs> right. So of course I would take the top off of it and kind of reach over it and sniff it and go, "Yep, that's gas." All right, I thought you were gonna go tongue again. Well, I guess guess you could. <laughs> I mean, I I guess you know it's kind of. Uh, yeah, never mind. <laughs> but uh, I guess where I go with that is, you know, as a kid, you know, I did a, you know, a lot of uh, bump testing or calibrations manually. Right. And there's a little bit better way to do about there, with a little bit more science. And that, you know, licking that battery, obviously, I couldn't couldn't tell you how good the charge was. I could just tell you that it had one, and sniffing that gas, you know. Maybe, uh, I don't know, back then you had uh, regular and, you know, leaded gasoline and unleaded gasoline. I don't guess I could tell the, tell the difference. <laughs> couldn't, tell the di- <laughs> couldn't tell the difference between those two. You were like one of those, a wine snob that's like breathing it in, <laughs> circling it around the glass. I'm, around I'm the- sure that there uh, was some meth head that was running around that could probably, could probably tell you the difference. Right. But, you know, that's kind of where, you know, I start off with is, you know, you know, we've done this stuff, you know, in our personal lives on other stuff, but let's really sit down and start with how, how do we go about doing it right, you know, on a day-to-day basis when we're talking about, uh, typically we're going to use gas devices in confined space, but it could be a fixed monitor, you know, just in a manufacturing plant just to make sure that, you know, maybe a, per, you know, a process produces an off gas or yeah. something. We just making sure that we do that, but calibration, uh, and the fact that it can, you know, it can kind of save lives. So let's start with, you know, most of the devices that we're using are, you know, they're not a direct, they're not a scientific, uh, tool to measure specific amounts. Okay. There, you know, when we talk about a, you know, a foregaff monitor used in a confined space, you know, that's one of the biggest misconceptions is that it's this big lab tool. No, it's 
it's it's no different than you know if you go down and buy a smoke detector and throw that that uh, battery in it and put it in your house yeah all it's doing is going okay the smoke detector knows what smoke is and when it gets it it alarms and there are faulty uh things about smoke i the smoke detectors in our house are so awful that which they're actually they're very very high end smoke detectors so like if we have a humidifier in the room okay. the humidifier will set up the smoke detector yeah, i think yeah, if yeah. it gets a little dusty the smoke detector will go off but so like but that's what how to say that's what smoke detectors measure particulate so also a burning pizza will set it off for some reason i don't know why burning pizza yeah burning like fro- frozen pizza you what leave you, one in and you, you, just, you get 18 minutes you kind of forget about it you're passed out on the couch and then all of a sudden smoke alarm right, goes off i got you the whole house is can you get the smell out for a couple days <laughs> right yeah yeah i get that but uh again so that uh the audience doesn't turn this into because a lot of people shy away from <clears throat> when we start talking about monitors they get scared of them right and realistically you just got to pick it up and go it's a damn smoke detector yeah and you know a smoke detector typically they have a red button and the manufacturer says every six months walk up and hit this thing and if it beeps it works <laughs> yeah so if it beeps it works right that's all we're trying to do you know when we look at bump testing and calibration calibration is a little bit more than a bump test but that bump test is kind of that daily way to uh, take a look at it so let's break down uh, uh, bump testing so bump testing is giving it a bump of gas giving it you know just a, a, a quick burst of gases that we know are in a bottle okay so if we have a, a single gas or a four gas monitor we know what those gases are and then we have a bottle of gas that has those gases in it in a known concentration and all we're doing is pushing that gas across the sensors to see if the sensors go yes i recognize that there's h2s i recognize that there's uh carbon monoxide i i recognize that uh you know whatever you're trying to monitor is there so so bump test is again that daily kind of just kind of making sure that this thing you know i'm I'm getting ready to go into an environment that i need this thing where there could be you know the atmosphere can be compromised with you know something that could hurt me so before i jump in there i'm going to make sure that i kind of give it a give a test run to make sure that it's going to recognize it and alarm okay because you know here you go if you're uh and i've seen this actually happen in the field is uh the the detector recognized the gas but the audible alarm wasn't hooked up so you couldn't hear it or it had mud across mud yeah. across it to where it wasn't audible at the level that it should have been okay so yeah it could have been it could have done what it was supposed to do but the person may not have recognized that uh it wasn't working correctly okay versus the calibration well a calibration is is real is really putting it you know kind of challenging those sensors to go well we have this many parts per million in this 
bottle. Yeah. What do you thinks of that bottle? Okay. And then kind of adjusting it because those bottles of gas have uh, again somebody's kind of put a known amount of it. So you know how many ever parts per million or uh, you know percent of volume they they've put in there. Now we're actually trying to proof test that monitor to say, okay, there's 30 in there. How many did you see? Okay. And if it's all 30, you know, it's it's dead dead balls on and good enough. Okay. But you know, something can compact. You know, you can you can pass a calibration with you know if you're if you're plus or minus 10 percent, you're fine. So if all of a sudden it says I saw 27 and there's 30 in the bottle, it would go, okay, that's good enough. You're you're in the ballpark. So again, when that's where I you know I kind of try to tell people that you know they're not direct read devices. So if you walk in there and it says that there's three, right. you know, three parts per million, that's not dead dead nuts right. It's just sensing that you know there is a concentration in here. And I'm gonna guess it to be plus or minus ten percent of, you know, three in this case. So is there a a scenario then where something could pass a bump test but not pass a calibration? Is there? It's, Does that make sense? Um, say that again. So like, if something is there a scenario where some like a monitor could pass a bump test but then not pass a calibration? So like you bump test it every day. What's really the need to calibrate it? on like that monthly basis or however whatever their program set because you're kind of with the calibration you're trying to you know a a bump test is more just a physical did it recognize that we put gas on it okay and did it alarm versus a calibration is kind of a little bit more finer fine tuning okay so that if all of a sudden it's not recognizing within you know those allowable plus or minus 10 percent those don't really get into you know, not as, as evaluated in a bump test as they are, you know, in a calibration. A calibration is kind of fine-tuning the instrument. Okay. Well, here is a, a question that I get that I know there's some gray area on and some, some questioning. So let's see if I'll get you to answer the question or if you'll <laughs> plead the fifth. Is bump testing required? Is it a requirement? Yes. But like the... It's required... It's required... Uh, prior to use on a daily basis okay in every monitor in every monitor you know because then isn't there something they're starting to release now that are saying bump you don't have to bump test this unit have you seen any of those i yes okay and i i i kind of use the whole handgun analogy as someone that represents all these manufacturers that's we can I mean, walk on glass. So, well, no, I just go from the standpoint of if somebody handed me, you know, a, a, a firearm, I'm the first thing that I'm going to do is check and make sure yeah. that it's loaded or not loaded, because uh, it's a life and death thing. Right. Versus somebody hands you a gas device that you're getting ready to go in there. Why would you not want to see if it works or not? Yeah. Oh man, it's it's good. It's fine. I mean, who knows? I mean, yeah. That that would say that there's absolutely no no way that uh, I would say that's saying that there's no way that electronic stuff can fail. Yeah. 
I buy shit every Christmas that's destroyed the day after we take it out of the box that's electronic. I mean, right. things aren't perfect. Yeah, look at our automobiles. Oh, everything today is disposable. Yeah. So, disposable. So, you know, looking at that, uh, looking at it from the standpoint of it doesn't require any bump testing or calibration, you know, I, I mean, I've seen some manufacturers argue that, you know, their sensor drift keeps it within allowables over a period of time. That That's fine. That's up to the manufacturer to say. But there still is a requirement um, that really is not necessarily mandated by uh, the manufacturer. It kind of goes into, there's uh, I forget which board it is, but there's a board that puts out a white paper that kind of mandates that you should do it on a daily basis. Okay. But again, you know, as we sit here and we take this journey and take people on the journey with us, one of the things to do is, are we just going to do stuff because they're standards? Or are we really going to try to embrace, you know, a behavioral shift right. where we do it because it's right? Right. That's when we put our seatbelt on, we put it on every time we get in the car. Not when we're going to drive 50 miles down the road. I'll be, you know. Right. Not when I'm just going to the grocery store. I'm just going to the grocery store. Even when we're going to the grocery store down the street. And you know statistically that most car accidents happen within about seven miles of of the origination point. I did know that. All right. How about why, do you want to talk a little bit about why calibration is so important in confined spaces? Do you think you kind of touched on that a little bit? Well, I mean, we kind of hit on it, but, you know, when when we're going into a confined space, you know, by definition, a confined space is uh, something that we're not normally going to be in on a daily basis. I got a list of some. Restricted entry or exit, vats, ditches, storage tanks, tunnels, silos, underground electrical vaults, boilers, wells, manholes, trenches, culverts, cold storage. Well, yeah, because, I mean, the construction standard now kind of takes a look at the fact that they're they're identifying con- confined space. Yeah. They've always been there. It's not like a trench all of a sudden jumped right. up and said, I'm a confined space today. No, yeah. I mean, by definition, if you look at it and it, it uh, kind of passes, or it, there's a little eye test that you put in and it's, you know, can I get into it? Is it big enough for me to get into? Right. Yeah, yes or no. Um, am I there or am I supposed to be there on a daily basis? I mean, so as you work through those steps to, to deem whether it's a confined space or not. Yeah, is it hazardous? Like, is it a hazardous atmosphere that'll require... Doesn't, have, doesn't matter. Okay. Confined space doesn't... That gets into whether something's a permit required confined space okay. versus a confined space. A confined space, by definition, is, you know, it's a space that I can fit into. I mean, I have to be able to get my whole body into it. Right. Um, and it's not... It's not a, a place where normal occupancy occurs. I'm not. I'm not going to live there, right? Unless I'm a bum or you know, you know somebody that I'm sure people live in confined spaces <laughs> all the time. But right. normal people are not, are not going to be there. Then, if we identify that there is an issue there, meaning. Uh, we think that uh, we can have an off gas that can get in there, or we hell we could we could say it's a damn snake pit 
or a spider pit where there's a known you know there's a known hazard right or let's say that there's you know elect exposed electrical wires or or uh it's hard to get in and you know <coughs> traverse in and around because there's i don't know just stuff in it yeah then then it becomes whether it's a confined space or a permit required confined space because a permit required confined space is said like a grain bin too it, well I'm, it just depends could have huh. I, I guess a grain bin if somebody deemed that they thought uh, any any regular organic matter if it rots is going to create hydrogen sulfide so I was thinking more like engulfment like when people get stuck in those grain bins from yeah, yeah, but I mean, those are going to, they're not necessarily going to call those uh, a permit required confined space. Should they technically be? Well, look at the amount of kids. I mean, there's a, I've lived in Iowa for 20 years and there's a stack of little kids that have, you know, died in engulfments helping, you know, helping out during the summer or whatever. I mean, that just a couple years back. Right. There was, uh, I think they were 16, 17-year-old kids that, you know, died in an engulfment. Never heard the term. So can you explain how about calibration drift? Well, calibration drift is over time is that sensor is what it thinks it sees. Okay. And so over time and, you know, depending on has, has, has it been, you know, a lot of sensors want to see gas, and so if they don't see gas, then they don't measure correctly. Um, some sensors over time, you know, like a catalytic bead sensor that's often used for, you know, your LEL or your combustibles, uh, they make little mini explosions. That's how it measures. That's how it knows what's going on. So you can wear out sensor, but sensor drift is just... When the sensor sees gas, what it reports back through its little, uh, what it reports back through the little, basically onboard computer that's there, okay, and says, "I think I see X amount of gas." Well, over time, you can that reading is not consistent every single time. Yeah. So six weeks later, if there hasn't been a, a, a calibration, that sensor can have some level of drift in it to where today it was given 27 it saw 27 six weeks from now we can give it 27 and it may see 25 right parts per million so that's just a that's just drift okay cool cool so we got doing the right thing basically is going to save people's lives so conditions on a job site can pretty much change at any moment would you say? Well, that's that's huge. I mean, especially in construction. Yeah. You know, sometimes you can you can kind of you can fiddle fart around and you know things are not going to change as much in an industrial. You know, Bill's going to show up, load the coffee maker up. Right. Everybody's <laughs> going to sit there and bullshit about last night's game, and finally they're going to talk about how shitty Bill's coffee is. Yeah, bitch about Bill's coffee, <laughs> and then they're going to turn the widget machine on, and it's going to start spraying widgets out. And yeah. They're going to do widget stuff all day and that's not to oversimplify what's going on in that situation it's just it's uh how to say it's it's, it's a uh, known factor really when you're pretty, doing the same thing more, more known stuff not everything's going to change bill may decide to make better coffee tomorrow so instead yeah. of getting chasing sanborn he may upgrade to you know some of that 
premium Folgers roast or something like that. But you we know. just did a holiday blend from Starbucks, which I thought was the Christmas blend. The Christmas blend is pretty decent. It's a darker roast. It's a it's a nice thing. The holiday roast has got like a mapley thing. Oh right? yuck! <laughs> it's I don't like flavor. It ain't good. I, I like, like a maple donut. I like just donut, regular black coffee. You're a psychopath. Yeah, I understand that, but I mean, I don't like cream or sugar. I just want it black. Yeah, and preferably hot. So, so we'll keep it at that. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. So, I guess where did we go. I don't know. A lot of this comes down to what we were talking about Bill's Coffee and that different. So yeah. So it's industry. basically static environment. So yep. then we then we move over to a construction environment. Everything is changing. Minute by minute. Yeah. I mean, an hour later, you know, you ever watch them frame a house? You know, well, here you go. It's a classic example. You watch somebody build a house, and they're sitting there dicking with the foundation. Weeks later, you know, they're still messing with all that stuff, putting the basement in. They've poured it, and, you know, everything's there. They've got the footers and blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden, they start framing it up. You drive to work. You come back. Yeah. And there's a whole damn house there. Right. And you're like, well, where the hell did that come from? But that's that's a classic example of how fast a construction environment can change. Is you literally went from okay, we're on the ground. We, you know, let's say there's not a basement or anything. There's no there's no fall hazard there. Yeah. Twelve hours later, major we, fall. Hazards. We have major fall hazards all over the place. Right. And then a couple weeks later, we start roughing electrical stuff in, and we have more hazards that all of a sudden come in and you know it's this compounding effect that again every day something changes yeah a guy goes right there guys are basically digging digging ditches and then five hours later there's 55 trucks up there spitting exhaust right back at all those guys spitting exhaust and then it settles out yeah and then some poor poor guy dies down there because nobody thought well wait a second that's a confined space too yeah and, or let's say that in digging it, they they hit a pocket at H2S because again, H2S heavy, so it settles. Yeah. So if it's at the bottom of the pit, it's there. You can probably you should be able to smell it, but your olfactory uh, nerves get kind of used to it after a little bit. So yeah. you're kind of like, yeah, I've got a real shitty job down here in the, you know, <laughs> right. in the trench and. We'll just keep digging, doing what we're doing because that's what the boss man told us. And everybody needs to get paid. They need to get paid. We need to get paid. And then that poor bastard sits there and dies. Yeah. And, you know, for $100, something, his $100 smoke detector could have, you know. Let's get, just kind of get back to. Kind of went off. We got to do the right thing. Well, yeah. If, we, if we're not doing that, let's just fold our tent and go home because this, this is not going to work out. Yeah. So, let's move on here to uh, our favorite segment, the Dumbass of the Week. Hit the music. Let's call this guy Louie. What'd Louie do? Well, again, this is, this, is, this is real stuff. So, this was somebody that... Uh, was trying to help and this guy was really trying to do the right thing but he was trying to cheap it up 
So he brings in his uh, mask from home and he's doing some jewelry stuff. So he's doing some smelting of stuff. And so he's melting metals. And I kind of ask him what metals he's melting because he wants, he's trying to ask me which uh, filters he should buy. And I said, well, unless I know what you're, you're, you're melting or I have an MSDS or something, I don't really know how to help you. Yeah. And he was followed by, so what filters do I need? And I said, well, <laughs> again, Louis. without without Louie, without some information, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. So he proceeds to show me the mask that he had, which it looked like he had robbed it from somebody that had stole it from somebody pre-Civil War. And on this thing was duct tape over one of the inhalation valves. And the other inhalation valve was kind of messed up, and he still kept going. So what uh, what filter do I need? And I said, Well, it looks like you need a whole respirator. No, that thing's fine. Right. And you know, it it gets into the whole. He was trying to cheapen it up, and when it's all said and done, he's looking at fifteen bucks. So he's taking the time that he knows that he needs some PPE. Mm-hmm. However, he's not going to one buy something that's you know that works correctly. Number two, he's not even going to have somebody help him figure out what he actually needs to try to protect himself from. Right. So that's the dumbass of the week is Hat thinks thinks that he wants to be safe, but is not willing to. To do, do those do, things, necessary. do a couple necessary things is one is to know what the hell is your exposure, yeah. And after you know what the hell your exposure is, number one, number two is you know, spend some level of money trying to uh, protect yourself against that. So, when we get back to the, the moral of the story, what Louis should have done differently was completely change his mindset, I yeah. Mean, it's 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 a paradigm shift, it's uh. Again, he was trying to mentally check the box of, I just need to do something. So if I do anything, that's better than nothing. And, right. you know, a lot of times I'll agree with, yeah, something's better than nothing. Right. But but if you're know, doing something, you've recognized that something needed to be done. Correct. <laughs> and, you know, we live in, you know, the uh, information age, I believe is what they call it. So there is... Uh, a lot of materials and a lot of help out there, including us. Yeah. You know, and he came and saw me and I think I know what I'm talking about. The problem is, is he didn't want, he just wanted a, you know, a rubber stamp answer. And since I wasn't able to give him the rubber stamp answer, he wasn't happy with that. Yeah. Well, let's comb through uh, the email box for this week and ask a few questions here, see if we can answer them. So. At one point, we had to send in fall protection for yearly certifications. Is that still the case, or is it a manufacturer-to-manufacturer thing? Uh, going back probably about f- over five years, I would guess. I don't remember. There used to be a lot of the manufacturers on the older devices would require you know, annual or biannual certifications. So you may still have... I mean customer could still have materials that would require those to to happen okay they could have a device it's just you know it's well past it's 
working work life and probably shouldn't be using it but hey man I, i i agree if it works and it does its job then that's good. But those requirements would be kind of enumerated in the first thing that we always throw out, which is the everything ships with an instruction book. And typically in there, it's going to uh, talk about what levels of service and maintenance that the device needs. But most of the devices out to now, um, I'm not going to necessarily say that they're created to be disposable, but they're, they're not built the same way. Right. And so uh, most of the manufacturers have gone away from that need to have, you know, an annual ins- inspection. And part of that goes back to um, the standard has the standards have changed to where we are training people, you know, authorized users to to look at stuff on a daily basis. Uh, we have competent inspectors that on an annual basis are looking at stuff and evaluating it. So there's, you know, there's more people with more training looking at devices, I think is a little bit of what drives it. Okay. But again, the, you know, most of them are not going to require, you know, annual certifications. One thing you said was interesting was like, so if they technically had like a tripod or something, that's something that doesn't get turned over, you know, every so often. So if their tripod and their winch unit that they had was from seven years ago and at that time it required yearly inspections that didn't go away no that's not going to go away just because the new ones don't require it that's correct is just because something you know again is just because something changes doesn't mean that you don't have to follow the original manufacturer spec on it and it seems like a lot of times then those manufacturers are saying we don't repair these or we don't that's not uncommon for them to say you know we can no longer like we were just talking about uh uh, confined space devices is people you know it's serial obsolescence so right they they go we can no longer we no longer make the sensors for that you know so you could still have a device that hey man it's it's working fine. Working you can't fine. Get parts for it. But I don't have an oxygen sensor, so you know you have to shit can it from there. Right. You pretty much throw that thing in the trash. Number two, our client is requiring HRC two, which would be eight cal clothing, on site where we are in, which we are in. But they are saying that we have to remove our five cal safety vests that we're wearing over the top, or switch to at least an eight cal vest. Are they just off base, like I would think, like I think? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So if the requirement is 8 cal, yeah. and they're, let's say they're wearing just a coverall that has 8 cal's worth of protection. Right. And then they put a 5 cal vest over the top of that. Yeah. Then theoretically, they have a cow rating or a, a you know a aptv that's going to be in excess of eight greater than eight yeah it's there's how to it's they're not going to unless they're taking all their clothes off and then putting on the vest right then they would only yes have those five cows yeah which would not be a very good situation yeah that one came to my inbox and the guy was saying they say we either have to have an eight cal vest or we have to take off our vest and not have it on I'm like well it's only adding to your protection on top of your existing that's correct eight cal clothing so yeah 
but well, but it's not something that you can just stack. You right, can't that's say, what I was going to just bring. You can't up. say value eight a cal plus and five, five cal, so I got thirteen. So I got cal. thirteen cal. No, that's not how it works. Those items have to be then tested together. Correct. It would have to be t- tested as a system, and then part of the problem though is, you know, if we're talking about calorie, we're talking about art flash, and you know when we start talking about art flash is how big is the flash because you know if it's if we need that protection and we have a vest on yeah. and we expose our arms or you know other parts of our body we don't have that you know whatever that extended calorating is all across our body it's only within a specific area all right okay all right number 3 what is required for storage on our half and full face respirators well, like you see a lot of people with the, just the plastic bag. Is that fine? Or that's, Yes. Okay. Basically, uh, the goal that you're trying to do is when you, when you have filter media, as soon as you take it out, it is gathering stuff. Okay. So if we have a P100 and we don't store it, Theoretically, those filters are loading up with stuff. Okay. Um, also, what is loading up is, let's say that there's some kind of uh, nasty shit in there that we're, you know, we have a cartridge that or a filter that is pulling that out of there, and we just leave the respirator sit. Uh-huh. Theoretically, it's getting into the nose cup and the face piece over time. So storing it in that plastic bag to where it's its own environment, it's not going to you know become uh, contaminated with potentially what we're trying to filter out of it. Okay, so it is something that you should keep the mask physically, not just the cartridges. Because as I was listening to you talk, I was like, oh, well, couldn't you just take the cartridges off, keep those in a little bag? No, 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 no. So let's go. Let's say that we uh, we know that there's lead. Okay. okay. And lead settles out over top. So Bill goes, uh, he's going to go on vacation. He takes his respirator off and just sets it on his workbench. So for two weeks, the lead that's settling out, just like dust out of there, settles into the, the, the face, his nose cup or the, yeah. you know, the face piece. Bill comes back from vacation. Throws that baby throws on. Throws it on. Right on in. He now has lead on the inside of the face piece as well as probably loaded up his cartridges a little bit more than that they were before so okay. that's why we're trying to we're not we're trying to keep that from uh decontamination okay fair enough but you should also you know remember to you know wipe the thing down and and take care of it there's care you know yeah you should always look at the the uh, internal diaphragms to make sure you know do positive and negative pressure tests to make sure that those diaphragms are covering what needs to be covered and not just the finger lick two two finger swab through the inside of the mask no you should really do i mean otherwise just take it off and throw it away and just be billy badass and yeah hope hope you you don't you know hope you don't expire hope you make it all right well that'll close up the mailbox for this week now, since this was the gas episode, let's uh, have a little conversation about gas, personal gas. 
Yeah. So I, I have, I mean, I could probably sit here and talk for the next 45 minutes about that, but we won't do that. But I do have a couple stories. Hopefully you got maybe one to mix in. So my children, which three years old, one years old, they've started really loving farts. So I, I don't know at what age. There's, not, there's nothing more precious than a kid loving a fart. Yeah. I don't know at what age this is supposed to start, <laughs> but I have two of them that completely love, first of all, farting, talking about farts. Um, that making the fart noises with their hands on their arms, telling anyone that they farted. Now the the girl started talking when the boy poops. She's calling him out. He pooped. He pooped his pants. So they love farts. But number one, my my first my favorite story would be um, when I first started dating this girl. We were hanging out in a bar. With a, with a whole group of friends, and she was one of those ones that would just let out little putters in her sleep. Little cute little, just as she slept. You know, mm-hmm. like, wee, 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 wee. <laughs> wasn't snoring, it was bum snoring, I guess. So I decided, oh, that's a really cute story, like to talk about that. And I brought it up in front of a group of like seven or eight people talking about her farting in her sleep. and. She did not appreciate the conversation, <laughs> and <bet> my. <laughs> that that really ruined the rest of my night. So that was uh, that was one to learn that not everyone appreciates a good fart story as much as my three year old and my one year old do. Yeah, but I, I'll tell you, I've done some real bonding with my children in uh, what's uh, referred to as crop dusting. Okay. So there's nothing better than you know while shopping. If you kind of creep down an aisle, you find a, a group of non-suspecting oh, people. You're and, those son of a bitches that and, do that. And just lay it on them. And then walk away and, you know, kind of poise, <laughs> poise from you your stand. The, and, oh, God. And, you know, usually what's even better is, you know, if it's a family of people, there's usually the, you know, the noted farter of the family oh, that yeah, starts catching hell. Wow, Billy, why did you, you shit your pants again? Yeah. Billy's no, mama, I didn't. I promise. You know, as is the as the whites are sitting over in the corner, kind of chuckling to each other, thinking, right. you know, having a what a bond. grand thing it is. I have the. Uh, there was a time that I was hanging out with my wife. I don't even know if she was my wife at the time, or uh, either way, it's either it was shortly before or shortly after our wedding. But I was wearing a pair of khakis on a white couch. and I all of a sudden thought I was just letting out a little a little gasseroo. But there was a little something behind it. It was a little sharp instead of fart. And I... All the way to the couch? All the way to the couch. <laughs> yep. And it was on a... It was like a frozen rope, too. It wasn't like mess, like splat mess. It was a shot because it was like... I caught it quick, yeah. but it was too late. And it shot like a pen diameter straight through my khakis into the couch. So a little dot on the couch got up. She saw the little dot on the back of my rear sprinting into the bathroom. So... Not to be too she disgusting. she still married you? Either she, she may have already been pot committed at that point. I'm not positive if it was if it was right before or right after, but it was early that's, on in our marriage. That's freaking love right there. There was no annulment, at least. Well. So. And I think that's grounds. Yeah. If, if yeah. your 25-year-old husband couch, yeah. starts on your white couch and shoots a frozen rope through his khakis, that's that's something. Well, I'm so. telling you, to penetrate two or two layers of cloth. Three. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was, I guess it was... You a, had to penetrate, penetrate, and then... And then, and then douse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> douse and really ruin somebody's there. day. Yep. So, 
I think uh, that's pretty much it for today. Glad you guys stuck it out, especially through that last part. If you're not tired of us, come back next week. We'll be here with more safety stories and tips. Safety is an important topic. Half the world isn't talking about it like it is, and we're just looking to change that. So so let's not treat us, uh, the United States like a third world country. So thanks for putting up with the mess. And leave us some comments. Ask a few questions. Jump into our social media conversations, whatever works best for you. Let's shine some light on the subject so we can avoid stories that end up on the Dumbass of the Week segment. Safety has no quitting time. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening in to Dave and Bacon's Safety Tales, brought to you by Quad City Safety. Send us your questions on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter at Quad City Safety. Hashtag Safety Tales. Or email them to Fred at quadcitysafety.com. He's the guy keeping this mess of a show in line. And if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's a kick-ass way to show that you care about safety.